welcome to Blazing History, where we are blazing through history one week at a time. Facebook.com slash Blazing Shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows. Same with Twitter. And go check out my brand new website, Blazing Shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows.com. Hope you've had a great week and that all is well as we're finally back to doing the show that we're going to do most of the time. I was sick a couple of weeks ago, couldn't really uh, do a full show, and then we had the inauguration. We had my friend Dan Platt talking about uh, Inauguration Day and what that symbolizes in this country. Now we get to blaze through history with you one week at a time. Start with January 22nd, back in 1973 on this day, Roe v. Wade, a very controversial Supreme Court case, came down which legalized abortion in the U.S. Here is how that sounded on CBS News from January 22nd of 1973. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions. The majority in cases from Texas and Georgia said that the decision to end a pregnancy during the first three months belongs to the woman and her doctor, not the government. Thus, the anti-abortion laws of 46 states were rendered unconstitutional. More on the story from George Herman. In two related cases and eight separate opinions, the nine justices made abortion largely a private matter and ordered the states to make no laws forbidding it, except possibly during the final months. The court split seven to two with Justices Byron White and William Rehnquist dissenting. In effect, the court makes abortion subject only to the decision of the pregnant woman's doctor. It ruled that states may make no laws restricting a doctor's right to decide his patient needs an abortion and to carry out that abortion during the first three months of a pregnancy. After that comparatively safe three-month period, abortions may be regulated but not prohibited by state law and for the benefit of the mother's health alone. Abortion is somewhat more dangerous at this stage and states may insist, for example, that they be performed in regulated hospitals. Only in the final stages of pregnancy may states intervene and say no to abortion. The court's decision, written by Justice Blackmun, thus sets limits on the right to abortion on demand. One limit is the time when doctors believe the fetus may be able to survive outside the mother's womb. At that point, usually in the seventh month of pregnancy, the state may take legal action to protect the unborn child, even forbidding abortion except to protect the mother. The newly liberalized abortion law brought immediate reaction. I think that uh, uh, to uh, raise the dignity of woman and give her freedom of choice in this area is an extraordinary event. And I think that January 22, 1973 would be an historic day. In this instance, the Supreme Court has withdrawn protection for the human rights of unborn children, and it is teaching people that abortion is a rather innocuous procedure provided that there are proper legal safeguards. I think that the judgment of the court will do a great deal to tear down the respect previously accorded human life in our culture. One of today's plaintiffs was an anonymous former mental patient identified only as Mary Doe, 22 years old. CBS News correspondent Fred Graham talked with her recently. Now, the first two children you'd had, had they been taken away from you? Yes, because I couldn't take care of them by myself, and I couldn't with my husband. And now I believe you had one more, and it was also put out for adoption, wasn't it? Yes, I put it out because of my husband. Now, after you were unable to get the abortion for the fourth pregnancy, 
what happened. Well, I had to go on and have the baby and have it uh, adopted out. New York State, among others, already have liberalized abortions. Now the rest of the country must follow suit. The White House offered no comment, but President Nixon has always strongly opposed liberalized abortion. Other opponents are now talking of a constitutional amendment to reverse today's ruling. Until then, if the experience of New York State is any guide, America will eventually have one abortion for every two births. George Herman, CBS News, Washington. Certainly one of the most divisive cases still to this day, even though it was nearly 48 years after the fact. Now we move on to January 23rd of 1997. The first Secretary of State, that is a woman, Madeleine Albright, was sworn in by Vice President Al Gore. I state your name. I, Madeleine Corbell Albright. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend. That I will support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith. That I will bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. Allegiance to the same. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any, any mental reservation. Without any mental reservation. Or purpose of evasion. Or purpose of evasion. And that I will well and faithfully. And that I will well and faithfully. Discharge the duties of the office. Discharge the duties of the office. On which I am about to enter. On which I am about to enter. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations, Madam Secretary. President, Mr. Vice President, thank you. I will do all I can to validate your trust and that of the United States Senate. Because of your leadership and the courage and productivity of our people, I will begin my service as Secretary of State with the wind at my back. America is strong, our principles are ascendant, and our leadership both respected and welcome in most corners of the world. But if we are complacent or timid or unwilling to look beyond our borders, our citizens will not prosper, and the framework of American leadership and the foundation of American security we have built could crumble with 21st century speed. We cannot allow that to happen. We must not shy from the mantle of leadership, nor hesitate to defend our interests, nor fail in our commitments, nor diverge from the principles that have defined elevated and sustained our nation for more than 200 years. Like those who came before us, we must be builders and leaders. We must heed the President's call to place patriotism above partisanship. We must formulate and finance a world-class diplomacy to complement our world-class military. And we must explain our policies and priorities to the American people with a logic they can embrace and a reasoning they can relate to their own lives. My life reflects both the turbulence of Europe in the middle of this century and the tolerance and generosity of America throughout its existence. As I stand here today in this office, which symbolizes the power and purpose of the United States, I think especially of five people. 
my mother and father who taught me to love freedom, President Václav Havel who helped me to understand the responsibilities of freedom, and Edmund Muskie who gave me the confidence to know that no barrier or ceiling should stop me from serving freedom in my own life. And someone I did not know, Thomas Jefferson, who as our first Secretary of State set the right diplomatic course for this great nation. Mr. President, you have stated as your goal that America should remain the world's strongest force for peace, liberty, prosperity, and security so that we can build a future for the next generation free from the worries and plagues of the past. This is an ambitious task, but we are an ambitious and determined people. With your leadership, our people's optimism, and God's help, let us proceed. It's pretty impressive that it took until 1997 for the first female Secretary of State to be sworn in here in the U.S. Winston Churchill was born on January 24th. We say happy birthday in tribute to the late British leader by playing part of his 1946 Iron Curtain speech talking about how Europe was positioned at that time. From Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended across the continent. Behind that line lie all the capitals of the ancient states of Central and Eastern Europe. Warsaw, Berlin, Prague, Vienna, Budapest, Belgrade, Bucharest, and Sofia. All these famous cities and the populations around them lie in what I must call the Soviet sphere. And all are subject, in one form or another, not only to Soviet influence, but to a very high and in some cases increasing measure of control from, uh, from Moscow. Police governments, there is no truth. Turkey and Persia are both profoundly alarmed and disturbed at the claims which are being made upon them and at the pressure being exerted by the Moscow government. An attempt is being made by the Russians in Berlin to build up a quasi-communist party in their zone of occupied Germany by showing special favors to groups of left-wing German leaders. At the end of the fighting last June, the American and British armies withdrew westwards in accordance with an earlier agreement to a depth at some points of 150 miles upon a front of nearly 400 miles in order to allow our Russian allies to occupy this vast expanse of territory which the Western democracies had conquered. If now the Soviet government tries by separate action to build up a pro-communist Germany in their areas, this will cause new serious difficulties in the American and British zones and will give the defeated Germans the power of putting themselves up to auction between the Soviets and the Western democracies. Whatever conclusions may be drawn from these facts, in facts they are, this is certainly not the liberated Europe we fought to build up. 
nor is it one which contains the essentials of permanent peace. Germany was divided, a cold war ensued. Churchill really hit the nail on the head. Now we move on to January 25th. On this date in 1971, Charles Manson was convicted of murder, one of the most notorious killers of the 1960s and into the 70s. Here is a clip from his first TV interview from NBC. I will warn you, this is pretty disturbing, so if you've got kids around or if you don't feel comfortable, I suggest turning down the radio for a few minutes. You know, you were sentenced to the gas chamber and then they modified the death penalty. Were you happy when that was done? Was I happy when what was done? When you found out that you weren't going to the gas chamber. You're talking about dying. Now, it gets me nervous. Why? Did you have any thoughts about something? Was you wanting to go anywhere? Were you happy when you found out you weren't going to go to the gas chamber, Charles? Uh, I knew I wasn't going to go to the gas chamber because I hadn't done anything wrong. You scared to die? Sometimes I feel I'm scared to live. Living is what scares me. Dying is easy. Uh, how long have I been in jail? 34 years? 34 years, so... Uh, Out of 47, you've been here 34. I've been in jail, uh, prison, uh, a long time. All my life. I was raised up in here. So I understand jail. So I understand myself and I can deal with that. I set my cell and I do my number like a convict does his number. But there's different colors on different people's backs doing different things. It's a different world. I love the world I live in too, just like Regan loves the world he lives in. You love the world you live in. <laughs> Most assuredly, it's me. You love all the pain that you've caused people, all oh. the anguish you've oh, caused Oh, I people. don't know pain. I don't know pain. I have no depth of pain. I have no depth of suffering. I don't know ridicule. I don't know all the bad things. I haven't been punished by you all my life since I was 10 years old. I've been in every reform school you got across the country and used to lay down and have to get my whipped till I couldn't walk. Tell me about some pain. And that's yeah. our fault. That's all no, those people No watch. fault. Make strong, good pain. Understand pain. Not bad. Pain's not bad. It's good. It teaches you things. It teaches you things. Like when you put your hand in fire, ow, you know not to do that again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand that. Written accounts indicate that you told the authorities, don't let me out. I can't cope with the outside world. Do you have a recollection of that? And uh, do you think, make and a and desperate plea out of something, man. There's no desperate plea out of it. I say, I, I can't handle the maniacs outside. I, Let me back in. I, I didn't use the word desperate. That's your word, Charles. Yeah, well, your, your inflection and your voice tones were uh, implications there. Well, you use the word maniacs on the outside. How are you different from the maniacs on the outside? And why do you call them maniacs? Because you know something, they think you are one. Yeah, it would reflect, if you hold the negative up, to the light, you don't see the light, you just see the negative. So I'm a reflection of your negative, there's no doubt about that, and I can handle that also. I've been handling, ain't I? I don't know, have you? Well, I've been up and down these damn hallways, in and out of these nut wards for the last 10 years. You think you could follow that act? I'm playing for my life. <laughs> you're working for money. <laughs> when you say you're playing for your life, am I to yeah. assume that you think that someday you're gonna get out of here? <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> hmm. Get out of here. Where would I go now, see? What would you do if you got out of here? If 
Right, got out of here. What if they said they said to you tomorrow morning, Charles, hey, listen, you're free. You can go wherever you want to go, do whatever you want to do. What yeah. would you do? I'll probably go out front on the grass and sit down. It is absolutely just beyond words to hear how depressed and disturbed of a man Charles Manson was, who died a few years ago when he was 83. Moving on to very recent history from January 26th. It was a year ago that NBA legend Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash along with several others. His career ended on April 13th of 2016, and he accomplished something just five times overall in his NBA career. Here's how it sounded on Lakers Radio from April 13th, 2016. Hayward dribbles left, down the middle, stripped, grabbed by Randall. Randall gives it to Kobe. One point away from 50. Kobe dribbles right, down the middle, all the way, powers up, 50! Kobe has 51 points as he lays it up and in. Are you kidding me? 51 points on the last night of your NBA career? Who does this? There he is, Kobe down the middle, pulls up, 15-footer, good! 53 for Kobe! 96-92, it's a four-point game. 105, three-pointer by Bryant, good! Timeout, Utah! Kobe has 56 points! And it's 96-95 Jazz. Exactly one minute remaining in the game. Kobe has the ball. Lakers trail by one. Kobe dribbling left around a pick from Randall. Pulls up. Two-pointer. Good! 58 for Bryant. The Lakers lead by one. If I wasn't sitting here, I wouldn't believe it. This is like out of a movie. If he makes these two free throws, Kobe has 60, and the Lakers lead by three. There are 14.8 seconds to go. 14.8. Listen to this building. 97-96 Lakers. First free throw by Kobe. Good. 59 points. I don't think Utah's going to call a timeout. So after this free throw, they're going to try and play it out. Kobe's second free throw. Good. He has 60. The Lakers lead by three. Here we go. Utah needs a three to tie it. Hayward driving down the middle all the way to the rim. Lay it up. No good. Rebound grab. Kobe's got it. Length of the court pass to Clarkson. Clarkson at the rim. Slam dunk. Game in the refrigerator. And the Lakers are going to win on Kobe's last night. He's going to score 60. And I don't believe what I just saw. What an unbelievable career. I wish I could claim that I'm related to Kobe Bryant from an athletic sense, but I'm not. So I digress and move on. On January 27th, 1976, the debut episode of Laverne and Shirley aired on NBC. It was a spinoff of the sitcom Happy Days. And here are the opening minutes 
from that first episode. Hey, Shirley! They got some hot gossip for you. Oh, no. They caught Waldo licking foam off the racks again. What, Laverne? What? I found out who that new guy in the bottle capping department is. The tall one with the dark hair? His name happens to be Tad Shots. His uncle is the Big Shots. Max. I know. How you know? He spoke to me. He says he wants to spend his break time with us. What for? Says he has something very important to ask us. I also heard through the grapevine that his family wants him to learn the business from the ground up so he can take over for when Max dies. Not a warm family. I need a donut. Uh-oh, here he comes. Hi, girls. Uh, donut anyone? Oh, hi, Ted. Uh, this is Laverne. Hi, hi Ted. Hey, shut. Starting to break. Your uncle wants you to wash his car. I only got a minute, but uh, my nana's having a dinner party at the Shots Manor tomorrow evening. He's got a nana and a manor. I was wondering if you two girls would like to attend. Why us? Well, you see, my uncle Max doesn't think that I relate well to the workers. Oh, you brought us donuts, not chocolate. <laughs> so I thought that if I invited a couple of the workers to go to the party, then my nana would talk to my uncle Max and uh, say what friends I was making with the little people. And uh, he'd have me transferred out of this filthy department. What a charming invitation. Is that a big mansion, huh? I'm sorry, I already have a date with Arthur Fanzarelli. Well, that's all right, you can bring him too. Fonzie at a society party? Here's the invitation, and uh, all of the directions are right on it. You just follow these, and I'll see you tomorrow night, right? Yes, right. Yeah, we can, we can really have lots of fun. Uh-huh. You'll get the gussy up a little bit. Feel this invitation. The words have bumps. Dress. We ain't got nothing to wear to this, and we can't afford to buy new clothes. Don't worry, we'll come up with something. I got a better idea. Let's not go. Maybe we can all gussy up a little bit uh, once we all get the vaccine and the world returns to some semblance of normalcy. We wrap up the show from January 28th, 1986. That was the day the Challenger, the spaceship, exploded. One of the really first big space disasters of our time. We have this report from ABC News from that day, January 28th, 1986. They gathered for what turned out to be their last meal at 6.48 this morning, the ceremonial breakfast. For months, they had trained together. Astronaut Ellison Onizuka from Hawaii, the star of this mission, New Hampshire school teacher Krista McAuliffe, Mission Commander Dick Scobie, Pilot Michael Smith, Astronauts Judith Resnick and Ronald McNair, and Payload Specialist Gregory Jarvis. After three days of delays, they appeared tired, but quickly rejuvenated by applause as they headed for the launch pad. Scobie followed by Mission Specialist uh, G. Resnick, Ron McNair, and uh, Pilot Mike Smith, followed by Krista McAuliffe, Teacher in Space. Ellison Onizuka and payload specialist Greg Jarvis. Final preparations before liftoff. The ground crew gives McAuliffe an apple, an apple for the teacher and wishes of good luck. Initially, liftoff was scheduled for 9.38 this morning, but again, there were problems. A hard freeze overnight left ice on the launch pad, a two-hour delay. And then NASA discovers a faulty fire detector on board the shuttle, 
another hour's delay while it's replaced. Finally, the liftoff was set for 11.38. A crowd of some 500 spectators, including 18 visiting school children from McAuliffe's hometown of Concord, New Hampshire, waited anxiously and then counted down. The liftoff appeared flawless. The spectators, including Krista McAuliffe's parents, Grace and Edward Corrigan, watched proudly through tears of joy. 65 seconds into flight, NASA Control orders Commander Scobie to go to full power. Challenger, go with throttle up. Challenger, go with throttle up. Suddenly, an explosion. Flight controllers here looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously a major malfunction. NASA loses all communication with Challenger, but the crowd still does not realize that something's gone wrong. Within seconds, Challenger disintegrates. We have a report from the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. For the spectators and Krista McAuliffe's parents, joy turns to confusion, worry, and a realization of tragedy. The $1.2 billion spaceship, its seven crew members, and their satellite payload disappear. I thought the flight was going fine. And then I heard them say, major malfunction. And then the person beside me said, it's exploded. And it was, I couldn't speak. It was. <sighs> Within minutes, emergency rescue teams parachuted in, converging on a search area 18 miles east of Cape Canaveral. Uh, debris continued to fall uh, for 50 minutes and more. And obviously, you can't send aircraft and uh, ships into an area where debris is falling, where they, may, they themselves may be endangered. Late this afternoon, after six hours of searching, NASA reports they found no survivors. These searches have not revealed any evidence that the crew of Challenger survived. Tonight, NASA and Cape Canaveral are in mourning. Tonight at Cape Canaveral, Vice President George Bush, accompanied by Senators Jake Garn and John Glenn, both former astronauts, expressed the nation's condolences to the families of the astronauts. Bush had a special message for American schoolchildren. You must try to understand that spirit, bravery, and commitment are what make not only the space program, but all of life worthwhile. We must never, as people in our daily lives or as a nation, stop exploring, stop hoping, stop discovering. We must press on. John Quinones, ABC News, Cape Canaveral. Well... Even though it was a very dark time and a big hit for the space program, exploration continued as President George H.W. Bush said it needed to, and finding the hope in such tragedy is what we need to do as we are dealing with the pandemic and all the political chaos and toxicity of the world today. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Blazing History, blazing through history one week at a time. What do you think? Let me know at facebook.com slash blazing shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N shows. On Twitter at blazing shows. Or email me blazing shows at gmail.com. 
You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts or on my website, blazinshows.com. If you can, please consider making a donation to ensure we can bring you a fully accessible podcast. To quote the late Franklin D. Roosevelt, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Take care of yourself and we'll talk again next week. On Blazin' History, I'm Blaze Bryant.